the last part of our core value, that we pray for those in our lives who do not know Jesus Christ, and we pray with an urgency and an expectancy. Now, often when you hear we're going to talk about the topic of prayer, we can think about all the different ways we can pray, all the different things we can pray about. A lot of times you'll hear us talk about praying for people's needs and praying for people's health and praying for our government and praying for all these different things, and those are all valid and important and should be a part of our prayer life. But what often can be missed is the fact that we are to be praying with an expectancy and an urgency that people would come to faith and that we would have opportunities to lead people to faith. So that's the part I want to emphasize this morning as we look at John chapter 9. And if you have your Bibles with you, John chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And it should be up on the screen here in just a second. But what we're talking about is focusing on prayer that Jesus Christ will come to people and change their hearts and they be transformed and born again. And that we get to be a part of that. And so while I do pray regularly for the spiritual growth of my kids and my family, while I do pray for people when they're going through a, a loss or trouble in their life, while I do pray for people that their finances would get resolved and better, and I do pray for people's healing, all of those things are important, but sometimes we forget to pray that Jesus would move in the lives of people and bring them to faith. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9 that's had a great impact on my heart and my life about how I see prayer and I just want to challenge us today to shift just a little bit and recommit just a little bit our prayer life to praying about this as well as the other things that we pray about. This is what Jesus says. And when Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. And he says, into his harvest. Let's take this one verse at a time and just work our way through it. Verse 35, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. One of the pictures we get here is Jesus just went out. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to go sit down here and you come, come to me. Jesus went out. And he went to the cities and he went to the villages. He went to where people were. He went to find people and to interact in their lives where they were. And he was teaching. He, he was the beautiful feet of the one who brings good news. The good news was coming from Jesus himself. He was the one who started that good news, sent by the Father. And so here's his beautiful feet going from cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues. And he was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Now that's where we get a little hung up sometimes. What does that mean? We read something like that. What does that mean, the gospel of the kingdom? He, he was proclaiming and preaching the good news of the rule and reign of God. He was preaching and proclaiming the good news of this is how God intended things to be. And he was proclaiming it and demonstrating it. He was proclaiming a spiritual transformation that would impact people and how they related to God. He brought this good news of, hey, the way that you're trying to relate to God is not working. And so I have something new for you, and it's going to be a spiritual transformation. 
And this, then he was going to give us the power of his spirit to actually live that out. He came in a time when they were still offering sacrifices, hoping that somehow that was going to be pleasing enough to God. And it wasn't working because their hearts were still far from God, even though they were doing all this ritual and trying to follow the law. And so he comes with this good news of a spiritual transformation that would impact how one related to God and impacted how one could have their sins forgiven and be in right relationship with God. But then it also would impact how they related to one another. See, the, the good news of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, was that the way God intended it to be was for us to have a right relationship with him, like Adam and Eve had before the fall, before sin came into the world, and then for that to transform how we related to one another. So that we could actually care for one another and, and actually be concerned with other people. And so Jesus is going out proclaiming this good news of the reign and rule of God, the way God intended it to be. And sin had marred that, and sin had changed all that, and there was an enemy named Satan, right, that was fighting against all of that. But now Jesus is standing there in the flesh, and he's going from city to city, synagogue to synagogue, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And while he was healing the diseases and afflictions, that was a demonstration of his power to bring about this rule and reign of God. It's a spiritual transformation that changed how we relate to God, how we relate to one another. And how we relate to one another now, he said, I'm going to change you so that you're actually doing acts of mercy and compassion and you care for one another and you treat one another in a way that is transforming, in a way that matters. And so that's the beginning of his in chapter 9, the beginning of what he's doing is he's going out there, village to village, place to place, person to person, bringing the good news of the gospel of the reign of God, coming into earth, coming down to earth. Now, it's not complete. It's not finished until he comes back a second time. But right now, we get to taste some of it, some of the rule and reign of God. And then he says this in verse 36, the past, Matthew says, when he saw the crowds... And this has always impacted me. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Why? Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So here he is going village to village, synagogue to synagogue with the gospel, the good news of the rule and reign of God coming into their presence. And he was healing diseases and afflictions. And he looked around and he saw that everything was a mess. And he had compassion. And he saw that people were harassed and helpless. He saw the crowds, and he saw that there was lots of people. Crowds are a lot of people, right? Too many to count. Overwhelming. Lots of people. What can be done when there's so many people? And not only are there so many people, it's all so messy. My, my daughter would really appreciate this if she was here today, but messy and many go together. All right? If you have many people, there's going to be a lot of mess. She would prefer to be the one out in the woods and not having to deal with a lot of people. And guess what? It's not an addition. Think about this. It's not addition when there's 50 to 60 of us here today, right? It's not just one-to-one, -one, right? There's not 50 to 60 mess. It's some of us, the mess is times five. Some of us, it's times two. Some of us, it's times eight. If we were to go around and what's going on in our lives and some of the hard stuff that's going on, it's hundreds of stuff, right? So you bring the crowds together, what Jesus is seeing is the crowds, and you bring the mess of the crowds together, and it's a lot of stuff going on. And it could be easier just to ignore it all. Head off into the woods or into the mountains and just forget about the magnitude of it all. 
or we numb ourselves by with fun and pleasure or whatever brings comfort and escape so we don't have to see or feel the depth of all of the trouble. So not only do we feel overwhelmed by the sheer numbers, then we're overwhelmed by the complexity of the pain, the complexity of the suffering, the complexity of the lostness of all these individuals. And at some point we could just go, wow, it's too much. So what does Jesus do? He just throws up his hands and says, I think I'm heading back to heaven. It was easier up there. That's not what he does, is it? Jesus is our example. And with all that complexity and all of that mass of crowds, Jesus had compassion. I love this because we get to see the heart of Jesus. When he saw the crowds and he saw the complexity of the mess, he felt a care. He felt a concern. He felt a sympathy for their condition. And then he does something. I don't know where it's been like for you with your experience with the church, but I grew up in the church and been in the ministry for a long time. Unfortunately, sometimes, it's been my experience that in the church, sometimes when we look around and see all that mess, we sometimes get angry at the sheep. Or we get upset. And sometimes can even be downright mean towards people who are doing and acting in ways that we think, that's just crazy. Why are they acting that way? Instead of having compassion, we can sometimes find ourselves in those places. Where I see this thing and I'm angry at this person or I'm upset at this person or I don't understand why they're acting the way that they're acting. And instead of having compassion and understanding that they're being harassed by sin and Satan and their own sinful nature, I sometimes get angry at them. And that's not how Jesus did it or saw it. He looked and he said, they're harassed. They're being harassed by an enemy named Satan. They're being harassed by sin. They're being harassed by some of their own dumb decisions and choices that come from their own sinful nature, just like we've all done. And Jesus looks and he sees that. You see, the Holy Spirit is working in your life and my life, and the Holy Spirit wants to help us see these crowds like Jesus sees them. And the Holy Spirit wants to move us to compassion like Jesus had towards others. The Holy Spirit wants us to see these things and go, whoa, there's a lot of people out there. That's overwhelming. What do I do? There's a lot of mess out there. That's even more overwhelming. What do I do? Sometimes in my heart, I'm going to be honest with you, I say, I want to go to the woods. I got a place in the woods that I do go to sometimes. Jess was there, actually, on Friday. <laughs> I did come back, as you can see, all right? <laughs> but we all have those things that say, I want to just get away and just be away from it. And Jesus wants to help us see, that's why he put us here, to be compassionate, to look at them and say they're harassed like sheep without a shepherd. Here's a little freebie today that... If you're a note taker, this might be something you want to write down. It might be helpful for you. This is just something I've developed that helps me when I see some of the tragic things that happen in the world today. I've come up with a simple three-word plan that helps me figure out what do I do when I see all of these things and they can be overwhelming. I'm a news person. I'm an information person. So I'm always taking this stuff in. I wish I wasn't. You know, I wish I could just say, I'm not ever getting on social media, or I'm never watching the news, but I do because that's how I'm wired. So I see all of these things, and they come at you. What do you do with them? Here's a simple three-word thing that I do. First is care. Care about what is happening. 
You don't have to be overwhelmed. It doesn't have to destroy you, but just enough to care and say, man, these are happening to human beings. This matters. The second thing I do is pray. Pray about and for those involved. So when I see something tragic, something hard, something painful, something that's maybe even far away from me, I care, I pray, and then the third word is do. Take action in some way. Do something. This is different for each person and different in each situation. But you care, you pray, and you do. One example I could think of recently was Memorial Day. On Memorial Day, I care that people have lost their lives serving in the military. I pray for families that God would comfort them and give them strength. I only personally know one family who lost somebody in, the, in military action. You might not know anybody. I didn't know anybody until just a few years ago. But I know one family that lost somebody when he was serving in the military. On Memorial Day every year, I just send them a Facebook message saying, hey, I was thinking of you today. I prayed for you today. I always get something back from them going, hey, thank you. I really appreciate it. It was a simple do, a small do, but it was something that I could do. So care, pray, and do something. And that helps us then think, what do I do with all of this? That's just one simple way that I try to deal with stuff, especially stuff that seems farther away from me. Now, the other question I want you to wrestle with a little bit this morning is, why did Jesus have compassion? Jesus looks out and he sees all this mess. Instead of heading back up to heaven, he's going to enter into it and do something with it. But why? Why does he have compassion? I think this is really important, and this helps me especially when I'm dealing with people that I strongly disagree with or helps me when I think something is really, really wrong. But, but listen to this part, you guys. This is important. He has compassion because they're his creation created in his image. Because he sees those created in his image being harassed and helpless, like sheep with no shepherd to lead them. And they've heard and listened to other voices that have led them astray. We have a lot of voices that are leading people astray today. And there are a lot of people being led astray, falling off cliffs because they're listening to the wrong voices. And Jesus looks and he says, that one, I knit that one together in her mother's womb. I know all the days of her life. This one over here, no matter what it is that they have done, they are my creation created in my image. They're image bearers. And so every image bearer, has great value and dignity, and you and I should look around and see the image bearers of God being harassed and go, that's not okay, because that person's created in the image of God. Now, they might not all be filled with the Spirit of God, obviously. They have not come to faith yet and are filled with His Spirit, but they are created in His image. And it should grieve me to the place of compassion when I see His image bearers being harassed. A lot of you guys know that I worked in prison for a while. I worked in a prison ministry, and I saw men who had injured the image bearers of God, <laughs> and they themselves had been, had been injured, and trying to minister to them and, and help them see their dignity and their value because they were created in God's image, but also the seriousness of what they've done because what they did was hurt somebody that was created in the image of God. The image-bearing of all humanity is an important theological truth that we have to hold tightly onto because it impacts how I have compassion on other people. And when Jesus looks out, he looked out and he saw the crowds being harassed that were his sheep, those 
created in his image. And that they've been hearing voices that have been leading them all over the place. And these voices had led them astray, harassed them, abused them, and misused his image bearers. And Jesus enters into that, and he cares, and he has compassion. So there he is, looking out at the crowds. He has compassion on them because they're harassed, they're helpless, they're like sheep without a shepherd. So next time you see something, somebody doing something that you're like, that is this crazy stuff, all right, I get that, and I get how it gets to us and it frustrates us, but maybe it would help us to say they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then Jesus turns to his disciples, verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, here's the issue. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 4, verse 35. He says, look, look out. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. The fields are ready. The fields have been planted by God, cultivated by God, watered by God, and now they're ready to bear fruit. Now, I grew up in farm country, so I'm used to seeing this. And if you think about wheat or, or, or uh, oats, usually oats in southern Minnesota, now there's more wheat than there used to be. But that grows up and it's green. And as it's growing, it stays green. And it gets little heads on it. And they're really tight. If you've ever seen corn, th this is actually from uh, probably wheat or oat straw. And this is like one stalk. So that whole bale is all these little stalks that are all next to each other. And so you can't do much but plant it and let it go. You can't really go in and pull weeds because it's all so tight together. You'll step on it. And it doesn't, it's not the same as corn or soybeans. So you go out there and you plant your stuff and you let it go. And you watch it turn color. And as it grows and it's green, it will eventually turn color and it will look like this. And that means it's ready for harvest. It's white or yellow and it's ready to be harvested. And so that's how they know. They watch it and they see it turn and they say, oh, the harvest is ready. And that's why Jesus says, lift up your eyes. The harvest, the fields are white. They're ready. You want to hear something that I think is really, really encouraging today? God is doing a work. You think the world's a mess? I think the world's a mess. God's saying, I'm doing a work. I'm getting the harvest all ready for you to go out and harvest it. To me, that's an astonishing thought. And what feels like sometimes overwhelming mess, Jesus is saying, I've been doing a work this whole time. And I've been getting a harvest ready for you. And guess what? You and I are part of the product of that harvest. Now he's asking me to go out and be a harvester. So God is working. God is getting a harvest ready. And all he's now asking for is for his harvesters to go out and harvest. So he says, the harvest are plentiful, but the laborers are few. And I grew up always being kind of frustrated in a church that was frustrated with, with the harvest, thinking that the problem was with the harvest. It actually says that the harvest is ready, the workers are few. So the need is for you and I to be about doing the work of the harvest. And then he tells us what that work looks like. I love how Jesus does things because he just helps us to understand. He makes things clear. He says, all right, here's the deal. They're harassed. They're helpless. Have compassion on them. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And the harvest is plentiful because I've been doing work, working on people's lives and people's hearts, stuff you and I haven't even seen. 
And he's saying, I've been doing this work. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Here's what I want the laborers to do. Verse 38, therefore pray earnestly. And this is why this is the topic I'm preaching on today. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. What are we to do? We're to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, the one who's made the field, planted the field, been watering it, doing all the work in the field. We're supposed to pray that he would send out harvesters. We're supposed to pray earnestly to him because it's his harvest. The field belongs to him. This is all his work, and and that's why uh, it's so important that we get that part of it so we grab onto it. This is his work, his field. He's just asking me to be a part of it part of the work. So he's done it. And he says, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. It's his, it belongs to him, that he would move in the hearts of laborers to go and reap the harvest. What's he asking us to do? To pray that God would move in the hearts of others and ourselves so that we would be about about part of the harvest. Now here's the part where the challenge lies, right? The complexity of our journey on this side of heaven is this. The battle still goes on between my old nature and my new nature. Christ has come and has changed me, but I have an old nature that's still battling with this new nature. But while it battles, I have this struggle sometimes of listening to the Spirit and being obedient to the Spirit. So I'm praying that the Lord of the harvest would move in the hearts of harvesters. So God, would you prompt harvesters? And then I'm praying, Lord, then would you help their hearts be willing to do it? There's a two-sided thing going on on this side of heaven because we have this old nature still battling. And so I might have the Lord of the harvest starting to you know, hit my heart, and I'm going, I'm not doing that. Forget about it. <laughs> so I need both things to happen. I need to pray that God's Spirit would start prompting me and then that I would be obedient to that because that old nature will pop up and say, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to do that. So he's saying, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be in prayer, praying to the Lord of the harvest that he would prompt harvesters and that their hearts would be open and prepared to go out and do the work of the harvest. Often we spend a lot of time praying for those who are being harvested, and we should pray for them. But we don't spend as much time in urgent prayer that we, the harvesters, would be motivated and moved by God to be doing the work that he's calling us to do. So that's why in verse 38 he says, pray earnestly. Pray with a fervency that God would be working in the hearts of his people so that they would do the work of the harvest. I just want to say that again because I want to make sure I was clear on what I was saying is that often our only prayer is for the person who doesn't know Jesus and we pray for the harvest that their hearts would be changed and prepared. And that's a good thing to do. But we don't spend much time praying that we would actually be the ones out sharing the gospel. That we would be the ones out actually working and talking to that person who God has been working on their heart. And so while God is working on their heart, we're waiting for him to do something. And he's already been doing it, and he wants you and I to be the final part of that process by going and sharing the gospel. All right, so how do I kind of pull this together in in a way that I hope will help encourage us and strengthen us this morning to be a part of that harvest? 
First, there are people in your circles of influence that God right now is preparing to hear the gospel from you. Now, if you were here a few weeks ago, you might remember me talking about, well, last week we talked about it in other sermons, circles of influence are simply all the people that your life comes into contact with. You and me, we have our lives intersect with lots of people's lives. And God is just calling us to look at those circles of influence, all of the people's lives that we interact with, even if it's just the person that I just interact with with a brief conversation, or somebody I know really, really well, somebody I've worked with for 20 years, my neighbor, my family, whatever it is, God is asking us to be praying that he will be preparing those people in our circles of influence, and for us to have our antennas up and go, guess what, he's already doing that. He's already preparing the people in my circles of influence to hear the gospel. And you're the one that he's preparing to bring it to them. So that's the first thing. The first thing I just really wanted for you to take home with you today is to keep that in mind that God is right now preparing the people in your circles of influence to hear the gospel. And then Jesus wants us to have compassion on those people to look at their circumstances, to look at the things going on in their lives and have compassion, and to understand that they're helpless and harassed. They don't have the spirit of the living God like you and I have, and so they're being harassed and tossed around by all kinds of forces. And, and I want us to leave today knowing that he wants us to be laborers. He wants you and I to be laborers in the harvest. And he wants us to pray that others would join in with that. So when I was thinking about, when I went on my retreat and I was thinking about where do I see us moving forward as a church, the first thing was witness and the second thing was related to that, that we would be praying earnestly that God would use us to lead people to faith in Jesus Christ. It's not going to happen just by hoping that it'll happen. It'll happen when we are earnestly praying that God would do a work. So here's the actual practical application. This is what I'm going to ask you to do. Four things that I'm going to ask you to consider doing and, and commit to doing. First, that you would pray, and these are, all these are all around praying, that you would pray earnestly. That you would pray earnestly that God would move you to be a laborer in his harvest. The starting place has to be you. Praying earnestly that God would move you to be a laborer for, for God to put in your heart that you would look and have compassion and see the people around you in your circles of influence and have a concern for their eternity. That God would move you to be the feet of good news. That you would be the one, beautiful feet, that would bring this good news to somebody else. I'm going to ask that you would pray earnestly that God would give you opportunities to be a part of the harvest. Not only that God would move in your life for you to be a harvester, but that he would give you opportunities. Some of the easiest opportunities I've ever had to share my faith is when God has just put them right there, and they were simple. <laughs> and you're like, oh, I'm sitting on the plane, and this lady's asking me about Jesus. I guess I can tell her about Jesus. <laughs> That's easy. Lady walks into my office, asks me about Jesus. I can, you know, pray that God would make those opportunities available. I'm going to be honest, and you've heard me share this before, sometimes I don't pray that because I'm afraid it's going to happen. <laughs> and then i got to do something with that but to pray earnestly that God would give you opportunity to be a part of the harvest. Pray earnestly, third, that God would be preparing a harvest in your circles of influence, thinking about the people in your circles of influence and praying, God, would you be preparing them? Would you be working in their hearts 
Would you be drawing them unto yourself so that when I come to them with the gospel that they're being prepared? Because, Lord, some of these people are people that I really care about. Now, here's one of the struggles with this whole idea of praying that people in your circles of influence would be prepared is that sometimes it's the person in your circle of influence that you care the least about. That's what's hard. So my brother or sister who doesn't know Jesus, I've been praying for 30 or 40 years. I want them to know faith. That's who I want to share the gospel with. This annoying coworker who I've only known for three months <laughs> who's really open, I don't want to deal with them because they annoy me. See, the reason I put this here that we need to pray for our circles of influence and pray for the harvest there, but th then we have to be ready for whoever that is that God is preparing. And sometimes it might be somebody that's hard for us. Sometimes it's that neighbor who's been driving us nuts for a decade. All of a sudden, God's working in their heart. Would you pray earnestly that God will be preparing a harvest in your circles of influence, no matter who those people are? And finally, this is the big challenge. I'm going to invite you to pray earnestly that God would give your pastors and then your family and then the people in your city group opportunities to be a part of the harvest. What I'm asking us to do now is to pray for one another also. To pray for us as pastors that God would give us opportunities. Pray earnestly for your family that your kids and your, your spouse would have opportunities to share the gospel and be a part of the harvest. And pray for your city group. Pray for the people in your city group and pray earnestly that at their workplaces and in their families and their neighborhoods, wherever they intersect with other people's lives, that they would have opportunities. I really truly believe that one of the ways that God will use this church to impact this community is if we are earnestly praying for one another that we would have opportunities to be bold with our faith, that we would have opportunities to share the gospel. That's my hope and prayer. You ask me about what my vision is moving forward, you can take all the things that are our core identities at Rock Hill, but now bring them to our context and I think witness and praying for one another that we would be bold in our witness and clear in our witness is where we need to go to move forward as a church. It's my great hope and prayer that you would take especially that last one really seriously and earnestly be praying for other people that God would give them opportunities I would love the opportunity to share my faith with somebody this week, but I would also love to come back and hear that five of you got an opportunity to do that, and I prayed for you to get that opportunity. You see what I'm saying? Praying earnestly that God would give us opportunity, but praying earnestly that God would give others opportunity? Here's the thing. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. What he's calling us to do is pray earnestly for the Lord of the harvest, to raise up laborers. That's you and me, praying for each other, for the opportunity to share the good news, praying for each other to have beautiful feet where we bring the good news to those that God has brought into our lives. The world is a mess, and there's a Jesus who knows all about it. <laughs> there's a Jesus who looks out and says, I have compassion on that mess, and I'm going to work through people like you and me to address that. I'm going to work through people like you and me to be his hands and feet and his voice to have compassion on the crowds that are being harassed like sheep without a shepherd. Because many of them are ready. They're ready. They just need some laborers who will come alongside of them and share the good news with them.